When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Tis that time of the season when the ghouls and goblins prowl. Witches ride their broomsticks and bonehead wildcats howl. So scrape your claws together and make some chilling noise. For your haunted wildcatters, those spooky Bosco boys. Boom, the boys are back. And look, I don't know if this is going to be much of a Friday whip around as much as it's going to be a Friday conversation with two different people. So I have two conversations that we're going to have instead of having, you know, five to six different primers like we usually have. So you guys are stuck listening to me facilitate conversations and you're going to have to listen to a little bit more of me than you probably would like to on Friday. But you know what? It is what it is. This is my show and this is how I decide I'm doing it this week. Part of it is because I know that I always like to talk to this man. This is the guy that my dad gets even more excited to listen to than he does his own son, which is me. It is the man who his own son gets mad because I say too many good things whenever I introduce him. It's a guy who he's doing his own thing. He's on the K-State online show every single Sunday. They usually drop it Sunday afternoon. So he's basically a a bigger podcaster than me now at this point. (laughs) He is my friend. He is everybody's Sherpa when it comes to watching games differently, looking at advanced statistics. He's changed the way I look at everything in the world of sports. The man, the myth, the legend. You know him as KSU underscore fan. I know him as probably one of the top 10 human beings I've ever met. Jimmy Goheen. Jimmy, welcome back to the show. Uh, I'm so glad you, you you took my text message for this because again, you know, you have your own show. You, you're the star of that Sunday show. I love Mason. <laughs> I love Drew, but you're the show of the K State Online show on Sundays. No, oh, that's that's very kind of you, but uh, it's it's cool to be a part. But I always enjoy coming on with with you, Scott, and talking football, basketball, whatever's on the the topic. It's it's enjoyable. The Boneheads are the best. I love. Uh, the boneheads and and what they bring to Twitter and or X whatever we want to call it now and and you got a great following and and it's a fun show to be a part of all every time. 
Well, I'm happy to have you. It's all football, although, I mean, we're, what, like a month away from tip-off yeah. in Las Vegas. I'll be there. Uh, me and my buddy Matt, we we, we have uh, everything planned. It's going to be a short trip, so don't worry. I'm not going to get, you know – too too wrapped up in the Las Vegas lifestyle. It's going to be a quick, it's going to be a business trip. We're there to support Jerome Tang and the Cats, whether Jerome Tang and the Cats want me there or not. I'm going to be there supporting them versus USC. Uh, but we're talking football, and I we're, we're going to talk about the Oklahoma State game because I'm, I'm using this kind of as the primer from the K-State perspective uh, as well. But we're 33% through the regular season. Um, you know, probably hopefully a little bit closer, like 28%, because hopefully we're playing in Arlington. Hopefully we're playing in a big time bowl game as well. But through these first four games, when you're charting plays, when you're looking at the advanced stats, where is K-State succeeding? What is K-State doing well at this point in the season? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. And uh, like you said, we are a third of the way football's Football is kind of funny because there's limited games, limited data. So it, you do have to to look at that perspective when you look at this, the numbers. But I think we still have a pretty good amount of time. You know, and, and this year, unfortunately, there's less, a little bit less data because we're talking about two or three less drives per game for each team with the new time rules. So uh, that has affected things a little bit. But I do think we have a pretty good understanding of K-State. I think we've played a pretty decent schedule. Um Biggest thing is, you know, points per drive and yardage rate are probably my two favorite stats. And K-State's top 20 in both, 3.12 points per drive so far this year. 58.8% uh, of the yardage gained based on where they start, which is which is our good numbers to be, you know, and that's, that's where you want to be. And, and by uh, the way, that's become like my favorite offensive stat, yeah. by the way, the, the percentage of yards gotten that, that I, I, has that always been one of the ones you, you talk about, or is that kind of a newer one? Because I've it's, really it's started newer. to latch onto it. Yeah, I've used it with my drive rate stuff. Um, you know, the, the the GOAT, Brian Freemaw, is the guy that has had – he's had that stat for years as, as part of his system on bcftoys.com. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I try – I'm leaning more into it over the last several years. I think it's a great number to look at and something I really follow. Um the other thing is, case that you know, we talk about red zone scoring. K State's been really good. Uh, the one I turn to in, in in lieu of red zone scoring, scoring, although it's similar, is points per drive inside the forty. So anytime you get a, a first down inside your opponent's forty, it's called points per opportunity by a lot of people. Um, K State's number four in the nation right now in that stat: four five point three points per drive when they get inside an opponent's forty yard line. So K State is doing well, finishing mostly with touchdowns. That's a really good stat to look at. Um, uh, really good um, in, in controlling havoc. Havoc is another stat I like to use. Havoc tracks the percentage of plays that a defense gets a tackle for loss, an interception, a forced fumble, or a pass breakup. Um, some people like to argue that maybe we should use quarterback hurries. Uh, most of the advanced stats people say the problem is quarterback hurries can be a pretty subjective stat, and sometimes – people will get a hurry when it's not really a hurry or they might not get a hurry when it was a hurry. So most of the guys don't use that. Um, that's a Connolly, Bill Connolly stat, one of the other goats of advanced stats. K-State's number 12 and Havoc allowed, which is a really good number as well. Um, the run game has been really successful. They have a high success rate and uh, predicted points added. Uh, my guy, Stats of War on Twitter uses EPA. 
which is PPA is, is the college football data version, which I can easily get. So they're very good and top 25 in both of those. So those are things that stand out in general, specifically in the offense. K-State's been really good at play action pass and the quarterback run game. Um, 24 quarterback runs called this year in non-garbage time, average seven yards per play and have a 75% success rate. And in the last two games, again, I think both against Missouri and UCF, the quarterback run game had a 100% success rate. Every quarterback run was successful based on down and distance. So we saw that work really well. You saw the, the quarterback read game late in the game against UCF and Howard, even though he was came into the game injured, we didn't even know he was going to play, was really, really good. The other thing that is, is encouraging to me is play action uh, averages 11.5 yards per play, has a 69% success rate so far this year and 29 snaps. Some of those do include, I think, what, what people would call RPOs now. You get this debate, what is a play action, what is RPO? My definition is if it looks like run blocking up front and you throw it versus if you have a pass set up front and you throw it. But I, I include them both into play action, play action RPO, both. In case they've been good at both. Um, so so those have been the things on offense. Defensively, just a couple things. I think most people could attest our run defense has been really good outside of a few snaps. I would, I would call us the Big 12's best run defense. Number six in protected points added, number five in run success rate allowed, number one in a stat called line yards, which kind of has a formula that weights run plays by down and distance, number one in the country in that, number one in power success, which is tracking like third and fourth downs that are two yards or less, or any goal line play from two yards or less, K-State's number two in the country in that. Uh, or number one in the country. And then number two in stuff rate. Stuff rate is the percentage of run plays stopped behind the line of scrimmage so or at the line of scrimmage. So really, really awesome in those stats. Kind of goes with those, but K-State's also top 20 in Havoc, uh, their own Havoc. And then uh, you can track Havoc created by your front seven or your secondary. And K-State's front seven is number five in the country in Havoc created. So those are the things that really stand out that K-State's been really, really good at so far. I love hearing a lot of that stuff. I, I want to really harp in on the points uh, inside the 40. Once you get a, a first down inside the 40, anyone who's been listening uh, to this uh, podcast at all, this goes back to the very first year where we were doing football, which was Bill Snyder's final year. And even last year, that's always been something that has bothered me. It's just like, man, you know, I feel like it's never as good. Uh, as it should be. So I'm over the moon with the red zone success and the success we've had there. I know you, you chart up and you watch a lot of the plays and some of the best content on the internet is when you're drawing up those plays and you post on KSO and you usually do some stuff on Twitter as well. What do you think has made this offense successful inside the 40 and in the red zone? Well, I I think, um, Number, I think quarterback run game has been really good in those situations. K-State scored, you know, I, I don't know off the top of my head how many touchdowns Will has, but I know it's multiple rushing touchdowns. Uh, we've been pretty good running the ball when we get down there as well with DJ Giddens, of course, last week, and, and Treshawn Ward hasn't been bad. And then, you know, he does a good job of finding receivers. Ben Sennett has been good down there. Um yeah, Jaden Jackson had touchdowns what the first two two games on the first drive. So, you know, you have multiple guys stepping up. 
And, uh, you know, while this, you know, we'll get to what we need to work on, while we haven't been super explosive, we have been fairly efficient. So I think that pays off when you get into that inside the 40 yard line. So I would say, you know, I think quarterback running game maybe is the biggest factor, but other than that, because that sets up a lot of so much other stuff in this offense, you know, and I know a lot of people begrudge the quarterback run game just because it's our quarterbacks get hurt nearly every year. But I will say the interesting thing is, is Will Howard's, our quarterback run game rate with Will Howard last year was around 8% of our total offense. This year it's about 9%. So we haven't run Will a lot more than we did even last year. So I, I think it's, you know, we noticed that he got hurt against Mizzou and, and, and it played a factor in that game. But I, I think Colin Klein has done a, a, much better job of limiting the quarterback run game. And I think that's partially why we're so good at it because he knows based on what defenses are doing, when it's going to work really well. And I think that's kind of played true uh, all over the field, but especially when we get inside the 40. We had some really gaudy uh, stats, like where we rank in the nation for a lot of those. Do you think that what we've been doing good, is it sustainable at the level on the national stage uh, for, for the remainder of the season? Or do you anticipate some of those kind of coming back to earth a little bit? I I, I think it is um, partially because of the league and the league's defenses aren't great. So I do, I do think we can maintain the the offensive numbers. I do, you know, We'll probably see a little bit of a drop in the quarterback success rate. I mean, we've had two games in a row at 100%. That's not probably sustainable. But if you can get 60 to 70% on those key plays, most of the time, I think we're, we'll be in pretty good shape. You know, play action is funny to look at because um, it hasn't been something that has been successful even last year with Colin Klein or even previously with Courtney Meskam as our office coordinator. For example, last year we had a 40% success rate on play action passes and averaged under seven yards per play, you know, and, and we've jumped that to – 11 and a half yards and 69% this year through the first four games. So it's good to see. I've always wondered if we had some sort of tell in either what our skill positions did or how our offensive line came off the ball, because that, you know, that's, those are what, you know, Klanerman and, and, and Kleiman talk all about eye discipline. That's what defenses are looking at often is what does the offensive tackle do? If you're, if you're a safety and you're playing mostly zone coverages, you're reading what, an offensive tackle does to key run pass. And so I've always wondered if we had some tells and maybe this was great self scouting in the off season for K-State to correct some of those things for our play action to be so good this year. Um, defensively, the issue is we are going to see um, some good run, run offenses coming up. Currently TCU, Texas Tech, KU, Oklahoma State, and Texas are five of the top seven rush offenses in the league. Even though some of those teams don't run it a lot, uh, they are some of the better run offenses. We've already seen UCF, who was in the top seven as well. And then K-State is the other top seven team. So we're play, basically playing every good run team in the league, um, even though a team like Texas Tech doesn't run it very much or hasn't until their quarterback got hurt. So in Oklahoma State, even though that's the one thing they kind of do decently, they hardly ever run it. We'll get to that in a little bit. But defensively we'll see how it goes I mean are we going to maintain that number one status in the league as a run defense playing these run offenses will be a, a pretty good indicator of what this team ends up doing and if they can be a team that goes to Arlington again 
I, I like it. I like it. Let, let's get a little bit negative, though. Uh, on the flip side, where has K-State not been so hot? Where have they not been succeeding? Yeah, I think offensively, most people have have known know this, but explosiveness is is has been poor. Uh, number seventy nine overall in explosiveness rating. That's based on EPA and down and distance and such. But it's a pretty good system on collegefootballdata.com, and especially in the pass game, we're hundred one in the country in pass game explosiveness. So we're respect, respectable with the run at number forty two. Um, and surprisingly, that this is you know most people might not even think about this, but K State's actually throwing it more than 50% of the time this year. Our, our passing rate is like 52%. Our rush rate is 50, 48%, a little under that, which is 83rd nationally. So we're more of a passing team than a running team. Although that's not necessarily a negative. I think that's pretty good uh, game planning by Klein to, to be balanced. I think he does want to seek more balance and not rely on the run so much. Um, I think part of that is not having Deuce Vaughn, of course. Uh, but, you know, last week it was a different when, when, DJ got the ball 30 times on the ground. So we'll see how much that changes as, as Ward comes back in the mix. Um, and then specifically, uh, this is a frustration of mine. And uh, the biggest knock on the offense is, is the drop back pass game has been pretty poor. Um, only 6.3 yards per play and a, under a 40% success rate dropping back to throw it. And that was something that was a strength last year with Will. Uh, when he was playing games, when he started Casey had a 50% success rate on drop back passes. That means no play action pass, fake, whatever, whatsoever. An average 8.4 yards per pass or per play on on drop back pass game. So that's a pretty significant drop, uh, over 10% success rate and over two yards per play. So that's something we got to see improve. Um, Inside power is kind of a mixed bag because uh, inside power runs, we ran a bunch of those last week where we pull a guard. Uh, Oftentimes those end up kind of off right off tackle, but I'm going to call it inside power as opposed to our stretch power when we pull, especially Hayden Gillen out to the edge. Um, but uh, that has only had a 36, 36% success rate, but it averages 6.9 yards per play. So most of our big plays have come off inside power runs, uh, our bigger runs, but it hasn't been as successful. So you kind of take the good with the bad there. Maybe some people, some teams like UCF stuffed it, you know, probably seven or eight times, but then DJ had four runs of over 18 yards per on inside power runs. So, you know, it's, it's going to pop once in a while if, if you, if you're patient with it. Um, it's not a big deal, but uh, we've only run three wide receiver jet sweeps this year for eight yards. We did score on one. So it's been a much smaller part of the offense, especially without Malik Knowles. I think part of that is maybe Keegan Johnson being injured because maybe they were counting on him being more of the Knowles type guy. But those are the things that stand out um, as, as I look at that on offense. It's, but on the other side of the ball, uh, defense has been the same thing. Explosive plays, K-State's um, toward the bottom of the Big 12 and explosiveness allowed on defense, um, especially in the passing game. The passing game has been a bigger deal. Uh, they have given up some in the rushing game, but part of it is teams don't run the ball very much against K-State either. So every time you get a big run, you notice it. Um, but the the passing game um, has been the biggest biggest uh, defensive liability, especially uh, giving up those big pass plays. All right. So kind of the inverse of what we talked about. Oh, is this going to be sustainable on the bat or on the bad side of things? 
how easy is it to kind of flip the switch on a few of these things to maybe go from being what we all probably perceive as a, a good team to maybe being borderline great and try to get back into that top 15 in the nation range? Yeah, I, I, the drop back pass game has to get better. I mean, that's, it can't – you can't sustain it because it's also like 30% of our offense. Yeah. And and you can't sustain 30% of your offense having a 39% success rate. So that's got to get better. I think part of that is the receivers and the injuries um, at that position um, and having so many new guys besides Phillips Brooks to be counted on. Um, part of it is um, – lacking that big playability from the wide receiver position, especially with, I think Keegan Johnson was the guy that they were counting on to be that guy. And he's struggled with his health part is probably on the offensive line play and, and shuffling around BB, especially from tackle to guard. And it seems like when he was at guard, we could run the ball, and not throw it. When he was at tackle, we could throw the ball, but not run it as well. I think Christian Duffy being back will help a bunch in that regard and, and helping our protection. I think it, I think it can also help. Um, I think Swanson has been okay as the second tight end for the first three games. This last game we saw Oakley come in. We saw his ability to run a route, even though we didn't complete it. Um, so we, I think in this offense, having a guy like Sammy Wheeler that can complement Ben Sennett as at that tight end H spot uh, would also help. So I think that combination of receivers getting healthy, um, receivers continuing to learn their roles and then um, having another H tight end option to go with Ben Sennett would, would really help that regard. Uh, pass defense wise, um, it's just getting reps and getting experience. I really think a lot of it has just been uh, inexperience at that position and, and pressures of, of opposing offenses and, and how to balance that. And I think having this bye week now may help um, not only get us healthy, but help our secondary get those eyes right. All right. Uh, th- this one, uh, this can be as, as long, as short as you want it. <laughs> I've tried to have it both ways. I- I've tried to say, yeah, special teams hasn't been great, but you know, when, when you have an offense and defense capable of doing what we're doing, you don't need it to be great. And I've tried to minimize it, but at the same time, I mean, Look, from my amateur eye, it has not been good. I don't know if you have anything that tracks it, but what do you make of special teams? Number one, I will say last week, the UCF game was a bad special teams game and and one of the worst I can remember. So I I do think we had some, some breakdowns in special teams in that game. Missed field goals always stick out, like they're going to stick out. A missed extra point is going to stick out. Probably not – I mean, they're not great, but it's probably not as big a deal as, as we made it, especially in a game you want big. That could come up in a, in a game – making a field goal could come up in – I mean, well, as we know, in the close game. Um, but here's the deal. I, I do look at the metrics, and it kind of depends on your metric. Um, and this is where – you know, the main two metric special teams guys are Bill Connolly and Brian Fremont. I've always been partial to Fremont's, just looking at Fremont's, the way he calculates his data. I think it's better. I don't know exactly what Connolly even does. To be fair, Connolly has us at number 78, and Fremont has us at number 22 in the country right now. So 
I mean, I feel bad. I feel bad because I like grilled someone in the Q and A show. It's like, oh, you know, it's it's really, you know, a couple missed kicks. It's really not. The, I mean, I there there is a big gap, but the fact that anyone has us at twenty one, and I completely skewered someone for saying, uh, you know, it, it really isn't that bad. I mean, again, uh, I, I now I feel bad. I feel See, a little bad. The, the interesting thing is is uh, is Fremont and Connolly have a system where they combine their special teams rankings. And that F-plus system has us at number 16, which is even higher than Fremont has being us at 22. I have to, so. I have to, I, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to go back and find the person who said that. Uh, oh my gosh. Now, it, now I do think. It's not perfect, but still. Now, and I, and I do think of all the data at this point, special teams is the most skewed because even though we do say it's a third of the game and it is, but it's, it's not a third of the plays, you know what I mean? So you're dealing with fewer plays. I think your special teams data gets better the more games you get. Um, so, so here's, here's the other thing to go with special teams. Cause people, I have heard people say, well, special teams has dropped off a lot under climate. I don't think that's true. Last year we finished number 18. Um, we did have years in 21, we were 44. And in 20, we were 39. So we weren't great, but we weren't like dropping off. The, we weren't, we weren't uh, Campbell, Iowa State special teams that are, have regularly ranked outside the top 100. And, and actually in, in Kleiman's first year, we were number one in special teams in the country. So he's had some good things going. Um, this year specifically, we are not good on kickoff coverage so far. We've given up some returns. And this is not, you know, it's hard to say. Teams have teams have made field goals against us, and we have missed field goals. So that looks worse, I think, than it is. Um, we are top forty in kickoff return, and we are top twenty in punt return. So we have a couple pretty good units, and we're number sixty six in punt coverage. So we're kind of right in the middle, average. Um, so, but here, and I think this is where Fremont relies on his data quite a bit. To me, the, one of the biggest tells is your average starting field position, because I think a lot of times that can be dictated by turnovers. But for the most part, I think that's a special team stat. We are number 10 in where our offense starts. We're number 39 in where our defense starts. And we're number 18 in the differential between the two. So I say we're a top 20 field position team in the country. I think those are mainly, mainly dictated by special teams and especially for us because we haven't turned in turned out teams over a lot so we haven't if you force a turnover and get the ball at the 50 that's different than exchanging punts and getting the ball at the 50 you know what i mean so i do think uh we we had a bad game but i also think this will be a top 30 special teams unit by the end of the year i absolutely love it and this this is why i i bring you on to set me and basically everyone straight so i, I love it um, before we shift to talking about the Oklahoma State game, I want to talk about the spot that you and I have recorded two episodes at, the spot that I was at before the UCF game. That's Manhattan Brewing Company. Folks, if you want a fun atmosphere, whether you're recording a podcast 
or pre-gaming your trip to the bill, Manhattan Brewing Company is the spot for you. You guys all know, hey, yeah, be nice. Talk to your local liquor store. Get it in your local store. I just want to give a shout out to the staff and everyone who is making Manhattan Brewing Company the best tap room to visit. You guys already know it's the best beer in the state of Kansas. I truly believe it's probably the best tap room to visit as well. Not only do they have all those great beers, they have multiple cocktails on tap. They have different house-made signature cocktails as well. You can get bullet bourbon cocktails there. They have uh, different tequilas and different margaritas on tap. It doesn't matter what you like. And heck, you don't even have to drink. You can go there and play some board games and hang out with your friends while they drink if you're not a big drinker. And and I think they have some non-alcoholic stuff to buy as well. I probably should ask them. Uh, but look, when I go in there, I'm, I'm having a pumpkin batch. I'm having some of the best beer in the state of Kansas. If you're not going down to Stillwater, if you're not going to be wearing lavender in T-Boom Pickens Stadium, maybe consider taking off early at work, heading over to Manhattan Brewing Company and watching the game there because it is a great spot to be. All right, shifting to the Oklahoma State game. What are going to be your one or two, three, however many big keys? They have to be big. I don't I don't need any small, little, minute stuff, Jimmy. I need the biggest keys you got to going in and getting a win in the House of Horror that is T. Boone Pickens Stadium. House of Horrors, not whores. I like the Oklahoma State <laughs> fans, by the way, most of them. Um, so I just yeah. want that on the record. <laughs> Good question. I, I really think it will take two out of these three areas to go badly for K-State, if not all three. Um, number one, turnovers. Number two, big plays. Number three, special teams play. So here's what I mean by turnover. I think I think it would take a minus two game for K-State to, to, to really get in trouble in this game, especially if, if Oklahoma State scores off one of those. I think it would take – four or five plus 30 yard gains, big plays by the Oklahoma state offense against K state, which we've been prone to give up a little bit. And then I think it would be, do we give up a big special teams play kickoff return inside of our 50 yard line or even for a score um, missing two field goals, um, something like that. So I, I think it, two of the three of those bad combos, if not all three, just because, I think Oklahoma State is that bad. I mean, uh, I, I'm not trying to put them down, but just to run down some Oklahoma State things. Number one, the offense is really bad. Number number 101 and points uh, predicted a lot. Uh, points predicted. Number 104 in points per drive. Number 103 in success rate. Number 114 in yardage rate. They are okay at running the ball. I would say slightly above average, but they run it. 38.6% of the time. So they're like outside the top 100 in their run rate. Their pass offense ranks 95 or worse in PPA success rate and explosiveness. So they pass it as much as anyone in the country and are outside the top 95 in most really good stats for passing offense. It sounds like and, a great recipe to win a game. <laughs> yeah. And they're trying to play three different quarterbacks and none of them look like they're any good. Um, it does sound like Bowman's going to start against us. He is their best passer, but that's that's not saying a whole lot. 
Defensively, they're not much better. Um, this is hopefully a game we can get expl- some explosives and get healthy there because they're 122 in the country and explosives allowed, 96 in predicted points added, 67 in points per drive allowed. So there's I'll call them a break but don't bend defense, <laughs> kind of the opposite of bend but don't break because they, they do have a decent success rate allowed stats, uh, but they give up tons of explosives. Um, number 32 in success rate allowed overall and number 38 and yardage rate allowed. So they, they have not given, they've stopped people once in a while. Uh, the run defense is okay. Uh, number 38 predicted points added number 22 and success rate allowed, but they're 112 and explosive is allowed against the run. So K-State's run game can have some big plays. And the biggest thing is this is the worst pass defense in the big 12, um, 116 and and predicted points added, 117, explosiveness allowed, number 58, success rate, success rate allowed. This would be a great game for K-State's passing game to get going with some big plays and get some of those chunk 50, 60, 70-yard passing plays over the top of, of what looks like a pretty bad pass defense, something we've lacked too often this year that hopefully would be nice to see happen. All right, so you kind of laid it out in, in that answer, but so if Oklahoma State was going to find a way to win, uh, you know, they, they'd be looking to kind of exploit, you know, us giving up big plays, turning us over and some special team stuff. Yeah. Is there anything else that uh, you'd be looking for Oklahoma State to do outside of those uh, big, big knockout punches? I mean, if they would switch tactics and have success running the ball and run it 60% of the time and, and own the clock, because K-State's offense is actually – Oklahoma State is one of the faster offenses in the league too, and I think that's bad when you're not very good at it and your defense isn't very good. Uh, so if they would switch that tactic and try to keep K-State's offense off the field, uh, that could be another way if to get a close game. And then, um, you know, uh, Coach Kleiman spoke well about Tenet this week, but, you know, you're still, you're still asking a kicker that people are still dicey about if you get to a game where you're having to win a game at the end with a field goal, uh, what, what happens there? So that would be my other fear. All right. Uh, so going into the game, if you're having to, you know, do a pick to click, if you're looking for someone to have a big game on offense, who do you think that, who, who do you think that, it, ugh, who's that going to be? I would, I would go with one of the receivers just cause I, I've mentioned their, their past defense issues. Um, my hope is it's Keegan Johnson. And he has his breakout game as a wildcat, what we've been waiting for. I also could see a big game from Phillip Brooks. I think he's got – he's not a big play guy, but he can make big plays against the right teams. He had a couple big plays against Oklahoma State last year, in fact. So I could see that happening. And and I, I don't call this pick to click, but I do look for another 100 yards on the ground from D.J. Giddens in this game as well. I would love that. No, uh What's weird enough, and I'm firmly in, I need to see it to believe it, but but I said this in the live show. I've talked to a few people in Manhattan, uh, kind of doing some context clues off of what Chris Kleiman said on Tuesday and Colin Klein said on Wednesday. I mean, I need to see it to believe it, but they sure want people to believe that this could be the Keegan Johnson breakout game. So I'm really hoping it is him. That'd be nice to see. Yep. All right. Uh, let's go to the defensive side of the ball. Who's going to be your pick to click? Who's going to really have a big game over there? I, I think my first pick would be someone on the front four. I talked about how our front four has a super high success uh, havoc rate. I mean, and and so is uh, that out of habit that you're calling it front four, or uh, how, how do you? Because we have three, front three. Front well, and then three. also 
Here's the other thing you were talking you about, you know, front, front seven. seven. You so are we counting our Jack safety as, as the seventh man there? Or how, how does that get calculated? I think it kind of depends on the snap. I, I bet I'm guessing by their system, if he's listed as a safety, he counts as a secondary guy though. So okay. I'm right. guessing, I'm guessing that's how they track it. That would be my guess. That's a good question though. I, I would be something that I should ask. Um, I, but anyway, you know, Cleed Duke or Nate Matlack, I would say one of those two, those are two leaders in tackles for loss and sacks. Um, one of those two, just, you know, you're playing a def- an offense that throws it all the time and isn't very good at it. So you would hope one of your defensive ends can can get after whoever Gundy decides to throw out, probably all three of those dudes. And uh, it would be nice to see another secondary player step up, like Marquis Siegel or Kobe Savage, to kind of, you know, they've Klanerman talked about how they're kind of switching those guys around, rotating, getting those guys figured out. It'd be nice to see one of those young guys kind of step up. You know, we've seen Jacob Parrish and Will Lee play well for us. So I'm hoping to see another secondary safety type have a big game. All right. Um, let's get into score prediction. Look, in, in my preview episode, I talked about it. And I said, if you look at some of the advanced stats, if you looked at, at the prediction models, you know that, you know, the, the line's been bouncing around. I think the way too early line had it at like six and a half, seven. I've seen it as high as 13 at different points. You know, that number sounds right. It should be a K-State double-digit win, but I'm telling you, I, I'm getting nervous. It, it Maybe it's just the ghost of Stillwater past. Maybe it's the idea of Gundy with his back up against the wall after a bye week. I think we win, but I, I feel like I'm going to be nervous and feel like I'm going to throw up at multiple points during the uh, during the game. What's your score prediction, and what would you tell someone like me who, who's being a little bit of a nervous Nelly? Well, n- number one, um, I, I do think it could be close for a while, but I do think this is one K-State pulls away maybe second quarter, third quarter, and puts this game away. Maybe maybe not unlike the UCF game. I, I did pick the score to be 38-20, Kansas State. Um, I, I to, to alleviate some of the fears, I think a lot of people have the steel, Stillwater Hex fear. Uh, K-State's lost seven last eight down there, I think, going back to 2007. Um, and I get that. I, I do understand that. But I also looked up all those teams. K-State was never the better team going into that game or at the end of those seasons. Uh, There's a couple of seasons, both teams finished like eight and five, but most of those Oklahoma state teams were winning 10, 11, 12 games. So even years we played them close within uh, under a touchdown, which was not the last two, but the the previous five or six K-State was usually 10 to 20 points or 20 spots lower in the advanced metrics. And it, and it, the best case scenario was K-State being even in advanced metrics. This year, K-State's 30 to 40 spots better in the advanced metrics. So I, I do think, you know, people do mention, well, what about Missouri? We were supposed to win that game too. Missouri's a much better, much more talented, uh, much less of a train wreck team. You know, the slight fear would be Gundy somehow found some magic to pull this team together with an off week and they come out firing. I I, I just be, just looking at how they've played, who they've played right now, I I find it hard to see that. I just they haven't shown any signs of that kind of life. And I do think they'll fight 
they got a Friday night. They're supposed to have a decent crowd, although you can get tickets for 25 bucks. So I don't know how you have a sellout with $25 tickets online. That seems like a weird combination. So I think there's going to be a lot of game, Oklahoma State fans that bought tickets before the season or, that are not going to show up for this game. I will say I've been saying it. I've been I've been uh, pounding the pavement, telling everyone that if you're a K-State fan, go into the game. If you're not superstitious, if you don't have a lucky shirt, grab some lavender. There's some well, and if you're listening to this on Friday, you're probably out of luck getting any lavender from CharlieHustle.com. Uh, check them out, CharlieHustle.com, vintage made fresh. Uh, but I think that would pop really good against a blackout and, and really kind of have that uh, that color effect where if, if you see lavender against a blackout, everyone's going to be like, man, there's more K-State fans than there actually is. But that, that's my two cents. Um, I like that score prediction. I'm feeling a little bit better. I'm, I, I am feeling better about this game after our conversation. Um, but what's your outlook look for the remainder of the season, assuming this kind of goes well? Uh, I'm looking at the schedule, and, you know, with the exception of, you know, Texas, it, it's like, you know, you, you probably should handle just about everyone with relative ease. It's still football. Football happens. It's still college athletics. It's still 18 to 24 and maybe some 25-year-olds with COVID. And if you're playing BYU, 32-year-olds. Um, <laughs> so anything can happen. But what, what's your outlook for the season? Is it kind of like, all right, beat Texas or or you're hoping for some tiebreaker luck with Oklahoma? How do you, how do you see the rest of this going, uh, you know, in what I kind of perceive to be a three-team race for Arlington? Yeah. I definitely agree it's a three-team race by every indication, every metric. Um, Unless West Virginia wants to get real drunk and crazy. They've been a nice story. (laughs) I don't see them sustaining it because their their defense is good. Their defense is good. But they're Iowa State wannabes because their offense is not very good. Uh, So we'll see how they can sustain that. Um, You know, at the metrics, they have – a lot of the metrics actually have Oklahoma ahead of Texas right now. There's multiples. Yeah, I think – Good old K Ford has uh, Oklahoma yeah. as like one, like the the most likely or in the top four most likely teams to make the playoff, something yeah. like that. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. Um, now K Ford also, like I was looking at, he's got his his rest of the season projections. We're like an eighty four percent percentage to win every game besides Texas and besides maybe Texas Tech, and that's Texas Tech. I think still has some residue of of preseason rankings built into their mix. So you, you're right. We have a favorable schedule. I do think it's a three-team race. Um, and then that's where, you know, now in this unbalanced era, you have to look at schedules. You know, Texas has already played Baylor and KU and kind of boat raced both of them, you know, even though KU hung around for a while. They still have Oak, Oklahoma and, Bed, uh, and the, the Red, River, Red River rivalry this weekend. Then they have road games versus Houston, TCU, and Iowa State. Then, you know, maybe TCU and Iowa State are threats. I think Houston's not very good. Their home games are versus uh, BYU, us, and Tech. So we are by far their toughest home game left. So that's a pretty favorable schedule. Oklahoma has their kind of close win over Cincinnati and and took care of Iowa State this past weekend. You know, Red River rivalry this weekend coming up. But then their road games are KU, BYU, and Bedlam. Um, so, you know, anything could happen, any of those, um, and then home games versus UCF, West Virginia and Tech, TCU. So they've, they've got some decent opponents at home, but can those teams beat Oklahoma? And we're, we're going to, I think 
this weekend is going to be telling for Oklahoma and how good they really are and, and what they have uh, in them. What is their defense really as good as the metrics are saying they are right now? Because their defense metrics are really good right now. So we'll see about that. And then we have Oklahoma State, TCU, Houston, Baylor, Iowa State at home. So that's favorable. Road versus Tech, Texas, and KU. You know, Tech, those are all three on paper decent opponents. Tech, I think, has fallen off. KU, you know, I'm not sold on as well. The defense looks like it may be the worst in the league. So we'll see how that happens and, and what happens with that. So I'd look at it and say, OU has the easiest schedule left. We have the easiest home schedule left, but probably the toughest road schedule compared to those two. So it's going to be interesting to see one of these teams is going to slip up and get upset and lose a game they shouldn't. And it's probably going to come down to who that team is. Um and, and as we talked about before, the sad thing is, since we don't play Oklahoma, um, if we would lose in, in at Texas, then that gets you into this weird tiebreaker thing that I sent to you the day that I looked up. And then it it could come down to we don't go to Arlington because we lost in Columbia, and that would be a sad day. Yeah, because and I, I was shocked to see that as a, as a tiebreaker. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if strength of schedule ends up, you know, being even, and again, uh, depending, you know, let, let, let's get through October and maybe that game versus Texas before we start worrying about it. But uh, you know, it might come down to something as odd as West Virginia, you know, beating TCU, uh, and, and that's what causes us to lose or. Uh, you know, uh, I'm not sure how this scenario, like if UCF blowing that game at home to Baylor could, (laughs) could end up being the reason why we end up, uh, out of Arlington, you you know, that that's, I mean, it's truly, those are factors. Those are factors. And again, uh, I didn't think I had to, had to worry about it, but you know, I'm going to have to change the way I root on schedules, basically saying, all right, you know, I need to find the teams that we're playing or or, here, you might have this. Who are the teams that we're playing that Oklahoma isn't? So these are the teams we have to be rooting for uh, because it could come down to tiebreakers to go to Arlington. Um, Who, who do we play that Oklahoma doesn't? So these need to be our new best friends. Texas tech. Come on, Joey. Baylor and Houston. Okay. That's kind of wild. So that's not good. So yeah, and that they, is and, really that's really not good, Jimmy. This is bad and teams, news. And the teams that's kind of wild because it because we also have three teams we play or we don't play that they play: Cincinnati, BYU, and West Virginia. Yeah, that's not good. Um, yeah, Cincinnati not sucks. <laughs> Cincinnati <laughs> sucks, but uh, the West Virginia thing could come back to bite us pretty bad. And Oklahoma has to play at BYU, so that. You never okay. know about that. Come on, come on, Keaton Slovis, uh, Sataki. <laughs> you know, Ro- Robbie Torino thinks it's like the best home field advantage because they do some pyro during the game. Need those, some Mormon are, magic. Need some Mormon be, magic. Those games are going to be factors. Oh man. Well, hopefully, you know what? Screw it. Let's just win every single game and not worry about it. Uh, you know, I, we, we won't worry about that until November. 
I'll have you on and we'll do a deep dive into to all this stuff in, in November. Otherwise, let's just plan on winning all the games. But Jimmy, that's all we have. Again, folks are thinking, Scott, why didn't you just release this as its own episode? Well, I want to talk to my friend Philip Slavin. We're going to get to him. We're going to talk about Oklahoma State and the Big 12 as a whole. Hopefully it doesn't go as long. Otherwise, it's going to be you know a really <laughs> long episode for folks. But you know what? This is good content. This is what I'm in it for. Uh, what do you want to tell the boneheads before we kick it over to myself and Phila? Um, just get to the, get to the home games you can this year. Enjoy this team. Um, there's a lot of fun players on this team. It's fun to watch. Um, Friday night games especially suck for me because I cannot take off work work early. I will be in Bishop Stadium and and hopefully bringing back for you. the Big bringing back the, the silver trophy to junk. And that's even worse because like I really can't pay attention to this game at all because well, it's I'll also like the biggest high school game in this region you know I, I i know wichita has some games i know there's like the war on 24 and you know again i i come from topeka there's some good rivalries there but at least in kind of like the the northeast kind of corner of the state i don't know if you can consider junction city in manhattan northeast i don't know some people think anything west of manhattan's western kansas Heck, true. some people think Manhattan's Western Kansas. That's but true. It, it is. It is the like biggest rivalry, high school rivalry game in this uh, part of the state. That that part of the state. I'm over here in Johnson County. I don't know what the biggest rivalry is over here. Probably Mill Valley versus the World. But uh, that does yeah. suck that it happens to be that game too. But I like the Friday night games. I know. I know you definitely don't, and I know some don't. But. Yeah. Um, You'll have to, you'll have to, you know, hopefully, you know, take the silver trophy back home to Junction City, sip a whiskey and uh, watch the game on replay after. So That sounds great to me. All right. Well, for Jimmy, for Chauncey, thank you guys. We're going to flip it over to me and Philip. Uh, and yeah, I hope everyone's having a good Friday so far. Thank you to me. I just sent it from myself to some bumper music. I don't know what I'm going to choose to me again to talk to another one of my friends. So he's not at Jimmy's level. I'm not going to say he's like a top five, top 10 human I've interacted with in the world, but I really like this guy. He is someone who is passionate about the big 12. He is someone who is passionate about taking independent voices and sending it out to the masses. And I want to call him my in real life friend, but he he won't ever find himself in Kansas City. He needs to come to Kansas City for some women's basketball, stay the whole week, and then the men's basketball tournament. So I'm going to work on him about that. He is an Oklahoma State fan, and he is our fearless leader at the 1012 Network, the host of the flagship show, the 1012 Pod. He is the hardest working man in independent podcasting. My friend, hopefully one day in real life friend, Philip Slavin. Philip, welcome back to Bosco's Boys. You're going to be pulling double duty. You're going to have to give the folks some Oklahoma State primer juice. You're going to have to give a little bit of Big 12 game of the week type talk. Uh, but above all, I hope you're doing well because, like I said, you're, you're doing multiple podcasts. You're doing the YouTube show, the special team show every single week. You're a father. You're a working man. You're a football crazed junkie like myself. And I think I heard you're also a youth soccer coach now too. So I don't know how you do it. I, I can hardly handle my show. 
a couple guest appearances and keeping up with Chauncey. So I don't know how you're doing it all. Um, a few things I need to note on here. One, we are IRL friends. Uh, just because it's not face-to-face doesn't mean it's not real. Um, I don't believe either of us has been catfishing each other, but, you know, AI is what it is these days. You never that know. Is, that is true. Um, Neve would be proud. We have FaceTimed. We have Zoomed. So it, it isn't a catfishing situation. So that oh, that's a good call out. If I was one of the the 10 best people someone had ever met, then I would assume they would have met only 10 people and I would be number 10 on the list. Uh, and as for youth soccer, yes. Uh, if you call corralling six, four and five-year-old girl or you four, you five, so three and four-year-old girls on a soccer field for roughly 35 to 40 minutes uh, for eight Saturdays in the fall, youth soccer coach. Then, then yes, I am a I'm a youth soccer coach of a team that is currently undefeated. Watch out, Ted Lasso, man! Here, here, here comes Philip Slavin. Um, all right, I want to get into some K State Oklahoma State talk. I will say, like, I'll, I'll plug my buddies over at, Co- at Cocaine Willie. Um, they do this like little weird thing where where they happen to find everyone I use for primers on a regular <laughs> basis, and they just so happen to be bringing them in. Uh, and putting out their episode before I do. Uh, so, you know, all the power to them. You know, it's a cutthroat world, but you, you are the best person to talk to when it comes to Oklahoma State stuff, or at least my favorite. I do want to give a shout out to Feels Like 45, though, because I listen to their, I I, I try to li- do my best to listen to as much 10, 12 podcast stuff as I can. I always make sure I'm hitting the K-State uh, opponent. And then I'm not going to pretend like I don't have favorites because the raspy voice kids, best duo on the mic uh, around. But I listen to a lot of them. But I do want to give a shout out to Feels Like 45. I listened to their episode this week. I loved it. Anyone who needs some more Oklahoma State content, go that way. But I'll ask you for your opinion. What the hell is going on in Stillwater, Oklahoma, surrounding your intercollegiate varsity scholarship football team. I appreciate the correction from best Oklahoma state guest to favorite Oklahoma state guest, because I, I, I would definitely say that Cade or Dustin would be better equipped to come on here and do a, a, a good job of explaining Oklahoma state. Alas, they are two also very busy fellows who don't tend to make a lot of guest appearances and that's okay. I'd, I'd rather they just continue to put out their incredible show covering OSU that is the best Oklahoma State sports podcast that is out there. Period. No, um, stop. they are the best. They are. Uh, and no, no bias, none whatsoever. As for what's going on at Oklahoma State, <laughs> um, the pessimist in me wants to say that the whole thing is coming crumbling down around Mike Gundy. Um. I start by saying this. I don't feel like the game of football, the X's and the O's have passed Mike Gundy in any way, shape, or form. Uh, We can quibble over what they look like on the field, but I don't think that's about a a lack of coaching or an inability to coach or lack of understanding of the the, the game of football. Um, I do wonder if college athletics and the sport of football more than the game and the X's nose is something he is fighting against quite aggressively. Um, one of my favorite movie quotes of all time is either, you know, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. 
And which is uh, a, I uh, think sound drop we dropped in our first year doing this show, which also coincided with Bill Snyder's fa- final year. And I'll just leave it at that. Um, I wouldn't call this Mike Gundy's final year. The man has a, a never ending five year contract with a buyout. That's ridiculous. Um, I actually tweeted out this week. Uh, Mike Gundy ha- eats up the largest pers- is, is the, uh, how do I put, how do I put this correctly? Um, no power five head coach eats up a larger percentage of their university's athletic department budget than does Mike Gundy. So he's not the highest paid coach in college football. But no one takes a larger chunk of their university's athletic department uh, budget than Mike Gundy. He is over 7%. No one else is That's over why. 7%. Is his rolling five-year totally guaranteed, or what's the buyout? Yes. Oh. Buyout's a lot. Um, and that, that He gets a $125,000 bump every year. I need to go do some math and see if Oklahoma State's athletic department budget increases by $125,000 every year or if his percentage that he takes from the athletic department budget actually increases each year, which I'm going to I'm gonna bet it does. I'm just going to go out there and, and, and take that guess. Um, I want to start by saying that there are talented players on this roster. There are good players on this roster, both sides of the ball. Do I think that the talent overall and the depth of talent on this roster are at a peak? No, no, I don't. I think um, an unwillingness to participate in NIL as it is being used most effectively in college football is hurting this program and why, look, everyone loses players. Transfer portal, NIL, everyone loses players, but you continue to lose some of your best players, especially on the defensive side of the ball each year. Also, I don't think it's a coincidence that a couple of OSU's best recruiting seasons, not from a ranking standpoint, but from a rating, so rating over ranking, like ranking is important, but it also has to do with how many players you get, yada, yada, yada. Rating is the quality and the caliber of the athlete that you are bringing on, right? And so I like rating over rankings. Some of the highest rated classes that Mike Gundy has brought in in Oklahoma State Happened to coincide with Lincoln Riley's time in Norman. You say, well, Lincoln Riley was a great coach and he recruited like crazy. He did. He just didn't give a crap about Oklahoma. He was far more interested in recruiting outside of the state of Oklahoma. And so Oklahoma State benefited by bringing in a bunch of talented guys from the state of Oklahoma who wanted to stay in the state and went to Oklahoma State because OU just kind of ignored them. Um, You still lost top players in the state to other schools, Clemson or uh, an Alabama or a Michigan or places like that. But you saw a higher increase in caliber of in-state talent going to Oklahoma State. Brent Venables does care about Oklahoma. I think more than anybody other than maybe early Bob Stoops of making sure not just the top-rated guys stay who are in the state stay in the state and go to Norman, but a lot of the guys who used to slip out of North Oklahoma and go off to, say, a Kansas State and turn into studs or off to a, a Kansas or a Missouri places – Outside of Oklahoma, some of those little three-star guys who would turn into just like, how did we let him leave? Venables is doing everything he can to keep those guys in state. I wish I would keep him out of Kansas. Fucking hell, man, but whatever. (laughs) The point is, it's never been harder, in my opinion, for Oklahoma State to recruit talent than it has been now. Combine that with, uh, y'all know Charlie Dickey well. Um, you can. Keep I'm just him. gonna say it. He's a bit past his prime. He. I don't. It, love- any anyone who was you know you know at his prime 
with Bill Snyder uh, at this point in his life is 100% past his prime. So um, you, <laughs> when you're bringing in offensive linemen from the transfer portal, like it's it, it's next to impossible to bring in. If you're trying to rebuild your offensive line through the transfer portal, you are not going to succeed at the offensive line. It is too hard to find linemen in the portal. You have to be able to recruit them and develop them. Oklahoma State has struggled on the offensive line. They continue to struggle on the offensive line. It's been an issue for a while and hasn't been getting any better. So you start there. Um, you have this – I mean, Alan Bowman is now the starting quarterback. We, it took us – that's what we all thought would happen before the season. It took three games for us to get to where we all thought this would be before the season. So really glad that that whole circle jerk happened. And um, the defense is a brand-new defensive coordinator in Brian Nardo. I say brand-new, new to the program, coming up from I think it was FCS or D2. Don't remind me which one. Um, switching from a four-two-five defense to a three-three-five defense, so you have a change in scheme. You have players moving around. Um, you've got a lot of you've got injuries in the secondary. You've lost a ton, and you have a, a new DC. And so the defense has been up and down, as it would be expected to be. Um, you've shifted some of the scheme on the offense. It hasn't mattered because you couldn't pick a quarterback, so the offense didn't have any time to find its legs or consistency through the first three weeks of the season, and it cost them two games. Honestly. Um, and you brought in a stopgap quarterback who hadn't started a game in like three years and has never successfully made it through an entire season healthy and Alan Bowman, and we'll see how he does moving forward. But I, I was saving this to tweet out from the 10-12 pod on Saturday or Friday night based off my anticipation of this game. But I'll 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 drop it here. Let's let's drop this here. Um Mike Gundy's first season in Stillwater was in 2005's losing records. The only time he's ever had a losing record at Oklahoma State. Repeat that. Since year two in 2006 to last year in 2022, Mike Gundy has finished not only by going to a bowl game every single season, has not finished with a season below 500. That's they have wild. always finished at worst seven and six. In fact, this is crazier. Since 2006, his second year, they have only been sub-500 as a program for three total weeks. They started 0-1 in 2014. Then you get to back all the way back to 2007, they were 0-1 to start the season, and then they were 1-2 through three weeks. Other than that, they have either been 500 or better every single week since 2000 and the start of 2006 that Mike Gundy has been the head coach of Oklahoma state. That's wild. Isn't it? That's like, wild. That's, that's the kind of stuff you let go. Maybe we really don't appreciate what Mike Gundy has done here enough. And I've, again, full total and complete credit. I uh, sneak peek. Um, I think by Saturday morning, Oklahoma state will have their first fourth week ever of being sub 500 with Mike Gundy at the helm since 2006. Well, uh, I think we know where your prediction is going to go. I will Mm -hmm. ask this. If Oklahoma State was to keep the hex on K-State in Stillwater, which truly has been a house of horrors, um, not not horrors, horrors. I like the people of Oklahoma State uh, (laughs) quite a bit. I did that joke uh, at the beginning of this podcast, I think. Um, so if Oklahoma State's going to keep that going, which I think K-State, it's, I th- 
again, I, I, I should have pulled it up, but I, I believe at least uh, since Gundy came to town. So if you want to use that time frame, uh, that is the place where K-State has the least amount of wins in any of the current legacy Big 12 stadiums. Because I think it's only like one or two. K-State has Let's not see. won a lot in Stillwater. I know it's only once in like the last seven appearances, well, I believe. Let's see. Um, they won Stillwater in 2017. Yep, that was the last win. Uh, before that, you have to go back to... Yeah. 1999. Yeah, so it is... No, I, no granted, hold on. The, there was the North start playing South. annually... Until yes. twenty until twenty ten. So yes, but, since, but still, since since that time, since nineteen ninety nine, I'm pretty sure that so of this millennium in the last twenty three years of any light of the legacy Big Twelve schools, K State has won less games in Stillwater than any other city. We've won more in Lawrence. We've won more, in, or of course Lawrence in Austin, in Lubbock, in Norman, everyone, Morgantown, more everywhere. <laughs> Everywhere, more than still are. So it is the biggest house of horrors. Uh, so if, if Oklahoma State was going to keep it going, what needs to go right for Oklahoma State tonight as folks are listening to this? Uh, I mean, look, for OSU, it's – I think first thing you have to do is decide how – is can you make Kansas State on offense one-dimensional, and which one dimension would you like to hold them to? Um, it, my preference, my personal opinion would be, um, you figure out how to stop the run. OSU has been much better at stopping the run or limiting the run than the pass. Hands down, period. Like, I, I'm, I'm not saying like OSU's got some vaunted. Yeah, I was going to say that's not saying much, Philip. <laughs> well, uh, let's pull up uh, here. I had this stuff earlier and I, I forgot to pull it up. Let's pull up Twitter, right? And uh, let's go see what our good old friend uh, Stats of War, who we had for our picks pod for 10 to a podcast on that's available right now. Shout out to Parker. Allegedly, he unblocked a lot of folks recently. So shout out to him. There's always before the season. There's always like him, Kelly Ford, Keegan always have the annual like uh, unblocking of people. I'm I always I need to go ask like who's who's the person you find you still block every year, no matter what, how many times you get them. Okay, let's talk about EPA. Uh, EPA per rush on defense, Oklahoma State is 25th in the country. They're 106th in EPA against the pass. Well, we got some strength on strength because you would uh, – well, it's close. 20, sorry, I had that backwards. They're 25th on offense, 116th. Uh, and so it's – it's what yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, on defense for Oklahoma State, EPA per rush, 26th in the country against the number three EPA per rush offense in the country in Kansas State. Uh, and the passing attack or passing defense is bad. Um, I I think if you're Oklahoma State, like you already know you're kind of bad through the air. I'd rather make sure Kansas State can't run the ball and make them one dimension. I don't know how you're going to do that. You're going to try, but that's going to be the goal to me is put it all on Will Howard. Now, Will Howard, we've seen plays well enough that like he'll he'll hit you. Um, and this Oklahoma State secondary, unless it's gotten a lot healthier after this two-week break, is banged up, is beat up, is young, is inexperienced. Like it has been very up and down for them, and they've given up some big plays. You know, the uh, Iowa State air raid off. Uh oh, 
I lost Philip. He is frozen. He is frozen. Oh. Up the biggest thing is on offense. Are you back? Yeah, I was here. You were frozen for me. See, you're frozen on my end. So I I, I don't I don't know whose fault it is. We'll see how much of that I edit out or if uh you know people are just along for the experience. Um so that's usually what happens with me. <laughs> well, that's part of the fun. Uh so so you're saying, all right, to win, you you gotta force K-State to throw the ball, shut down the rushing attack on offense. I, I'd imagine the key is just try to be explosive since K-State struggled with that and then hope for the best. I mean, I just like to see the offense be consistent. Um, come out and actually look like again. They looked against Iowa State on offense like a team should looks in week one because for three weeks they screwed around with the three quarterback thing that didn't do any good whatsoever, didn't solve any problems, and kept the offense stunted and unable to actually find any sort of groove. And then you didn't see the groove on offense happen until that second quarter against Iowa State, and like it still had struggles. So now you've had one guy as a starting quarterback in Alan Bowman. You know who he is. You know Ollie Gordon's your starting wide, uh, running back. How does the offense look? Can it come out and just be consistent? Can it Can it not rely on a couple big plays, which they will break and I think will help? I just, like, can you get some consistency on offense or is this going to be an offense that still looks like it's in week two of the season and spent three weeks playing preseason football against their non-conference schedule? No, that, that's completely fair. Um Let's get your score on this before we end with a little bit of Big 12 Game of the Week talk. Uh, what's your heart say? What's your head say? What's your gut say? What is your official score prediction? 38-17. All right, sign me up. Sign me up because I I, I guess uh, by the time folks listen, I probably would have had to make a decision. I'm still on the fence whether or not I'm going to drive down there for the game or not. One of the glories of having parents that really like to dog sit your amazing dog and having no responsibilities. <laughs> um, so we'll see. We'll see if I'm down there. I have horrible luck. I'm 0-4. The one I haven't gone to is the 2017 one. Um, so you guys probably, the people in orange, I guess in black uh, tomorrow or tonight as folks are listening, they probably hope I'm there in my lavender. Um, all right, let's talk a little bit of Big 12 Game of the Week. Before we do, I want to give a shout-out to our sponsors, your sponsors. They take care of the entire network, Charlie Hustle. It is the best officially licensed college apparel, quite frankly, in the world, and they're located right here in the heart of America in Kansas City. They're a company that cares about K-State fans and the entire Big 12. Check out all the different 1012 podcasts because they have a promo code. My deal, a little bit different. I, I mean, Philip, if you want to cough, cough the promo code for my fans, what, what is your promo code? <laughs> 10, 12, 15, T-E-N, 1215. There you go. If you want 15% off, check them out. Uh, and hell, you guys should be listening to all the different 1012 podcasts. I said this, you're, you're not going to get it in time if you're going to drive down to Stillwater, but I think lavender, lilac, whatever color you want to call it, is going to pop really nice against that blackout that Oklahoma State's trying. And also, again, this is probably really only for our audience. This isn't for the 1012 audience. They just dropped the brand new Felix and Udike Uzama Arrowhead Collection shirt. So that's right. If you want to be repping one of our favorite cats on Sunday, day granted it's red but it is a great looking t-shirt it's a comfortable looking t-shirt and i'll be rocking it on sunday check it out and also we're in october we're gonna have another giveaway coming up soon and then guess what 
I think it's November. We're going to have a double giveaway because the 1012 network is going to hook us up with a promo shirt when we're playing Texas as well. So that's right. Follow big or follow Bosco's boys, follow Charlie hustle, follow the 1012 network. And we're trying to hook you up with free Charlie hustle merch vintage made fresh. Check out their glow in the dark Casey Hart shirts as well for spooky season. All right. Speaking of spooky season, Philip, by the time stuff gets to me, it's a game of telephone, and I have no idea how true any of it is. But some of the rumors of what is going on in the locker room in Lawrence, Kansas, really makes me think, man, this game versus Mickey Mouse U, the University of Central Florida Golden Knights, I'm going to call them that from now until they win me a big parlay since they lost one for me, just blowing it versus Baylor. I think that's truly going to be the most entertaining game of the week. I think it's going to be one of the most uh, fun games of the week. And I really think it's going to set the table for both of these teams moving forward for rest of their season. Um, how do you think that game's going to go? It sounds like Jalen Daniels has officially been ruled out. It sounds like John Reese Plumley is going to play. Haven't heard official news, but it sounds like one team's getting their quarterback, one isn't. How do you think that's going to go in Lawrence, Kansas? I mean, the line today has shifted all the way from Kansas as a favorite to UCF as a favorite. So we know how Vegas feels like this is going to go. I mean, I believe the news I saw was that Jason Bean is going to start. There has been no confirmation as to if Jalen Daniels will be available. They won't know that until Saturday. Um, I've been told they don't know until Saturday if he's even going to be at the stadium. That's, again, by the time stuff gets to me, it's been twisted and turned and they know who they're talking to but it doesn't sound like things are going great in the locker room right now uh, featuring the iPhone necklace, man. I mean, I watch necklace. It, man. It's his back is bugging him again. We're going to, we're going to take the, the conspiracy theory stuff. No, we're just going to come into my TMZ web of rumors, Philip. Come on. No. Let me spin the rumors no. all around you. Get no. stuck in my web. Until someone who, uh, whose opinion I respect, this has nothing to do with you. Uh, decides to come out with some sort of news that Leipold's actually considering Michigan State and Jalen. Oh, that is that isn't with that isn't the rumor I'm that, hearing. But oh, well then let me lay me your rumor on me. So b- basically, it, it it is sounding like there was a massive confrontation amongst uh, Daniels and some of the players before and at halftime down in Texas. It sounds like there are some fellow players who are questioning his want to, and not that he's not playing through stuff, but that he did not take care of himself after his initial back injury all the way back in the spring. And based on how he's been carrying himself, that is why this is starting to flare up again instead of doing what training staff, strength and conditioning staff have asked him to do. Now that it's flaring up, it is causing issues amongst the team for him not taking care of himself. That's the rumor that has gotten to me, and that has caused issues. And a lot of folks are kind of uh, questioning his want to because of some of the NIL deals and some of the stuff he was doing, not only in the offseason, but at the beginning of this season when it comes to that. So that's the rumor that has come to me. That's me flat out saying it on the show. I've kind of referenced it uh, over this week, but I'm not a KU pod. Again, by the time stuff's coming to me, they know who they're talking to. Maybe they're trying to get me all riled up. That is what I've been hearing here in Kansas. 
you you get riled up by things in relation to Kansas Jayhawks. Well, I don't tweet. No, is... I I was on my best behavior during all this stuff. I had one wow, <laughs> Will Howard guts through injuries, and he's a true leader. Tweet, and I've stayed out of it. And that's the first time I've basically said what I've been told flatly on the show. I haven't said it on Twitter, bearing it a little bit super late into an episode that's going to be super long on a Friday before K State plays the game. I have no idea how many folks are going to actually hear that. So that's why I said it. But that's what I've been told. That's what I've been hearing here in Johnson County, Kansas. Uh, that's the first I'm hearing of this. Like, I, I don't know. I, I, I have no information beyond what you just told me. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend with like, um, like I, I've got information. I don't. Um, could that be possible? Sure. Do I have anything to back it up? Nope. Uh, I think he's had a back problem. Um, I think it's flared up and I can also understand Leipold and coaching staff being cautious and hesitant and trying to make sure that they're doing what's best for his health and keeping him healthy for the long haul um, because the ceiling is significantly lower with Jason Bean than it is Jalen Daniels for the program. It just is. Um, and, and it's like, Jason Bean is very serviceable. He's going to look a hell of a lot better against UCS defense than he get against Texas, but a lot of players are going to look a hell of a lot better against other defenses than they are Texas defense. So that's not necessarily saying a whole lot of anything. Um, so I think it's an interesting game. It's a big game. I do think that for Kansas, one of the things that benefits Kansas is an offense that is difficult to prepare for because of how much they hide what they're doing. They mask what they're doing, how much they you've got to face it one time before you get it. And if Jalen Daniels does play, you've got to face him one time before you really figure out how to, how to play him. And so it, it is a benefit to Kansas to get to play new teams to the big 12, because it is hard to prepare for. Um, now that said, Playing the new team, like UCF, Parker mentioned this on the show, and I think it's a good point. How many Big 12 teams have faced off against a Gus Mills on offense before? Right? So that one's a little bit different and unique. Baylor made adjustments to it, though I think that was more to do with UCF than Baylor at this point. Um, how will Kansas look against it? Like I, this this feels like a this feels like a higher a, a higher scoring affair. Um, UCF's gonna want to run the ball. Devin Neal should be getting the ball all day against UCF. Um, their their run their rushing defense isn't very good, and so like I could see a high scoring affair that's not necessarily a shootout because you see a lot of carries in this game, but still two defenses who don't do a great job of, of necessarily stopping each other. And so I, I do think we could see a different decent amount of points. I would if John Wright Plumley is back and Jalen Daniels is out. I would, I might lean UCF, but I'm curious the mental state of UCF, given how the last couple of weeks have gone right now, um, coming to Kansas in what's going to be a big game and where Kansas after last week, wants a nice bounce back, right? Again, it's a lot easier when you're not playing the Texas defense. Like everything looks easier when you're not playing Texas defense this year. So, uh, I, I might give UCF the edge here, but it's not by much. Yeah, I think Devin Neal's going to run for like 150, 160, and KU's going to win. 
I was squatting on and I and I presented the take uh, during the preview episode on Wednesday when I was picking all the Big 12 games. I said KU was going to win this even with Bean and Gus Malzahn's seat was going to get a little toasty. Little did I know there was a handshake agreement that he was going to get the uh, Project 12 contract extension that was going to extend him and give him a raise. So that take became freezing cold very fast. He was the lowest paid Big 12 coach. Which I don't understand how Sattersfield was getting paid more than him. Um, they were really even... to, to get him. And I think they had a bunch him? of money. Line. Well, I, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I, I oh, yeah, guess look, he had to I, pay him to give up his uh, buyout from I'm Cincinnati. Not, I'm not a, <laughs> or, I don't like the hire. Louisville, I never sorry. have. I'm not going to support it. Um, but I think Cincinnati, like the thing for UCF, you always have to remember is this is a young school a young football program, young a young base. alumni base, a young donor base. It doesn't mean they don't have money, but it is young. That's why they've been so much more vocal and aggressive publicly about fundraising efforts joining the Big 12, right? Because they've got to get a younger alumni base excited and, and interested in and feeling like they're a part of something. Whereas your Cincinnati, you've been around for a long time. You've got older donors who don't need all that pomp and circumstance around it. They knew they had to back up a Brinks truck as best they could for fickle when he was there. And then when fickle left, you wanted to feel like you could keep this train on the tracks. And so they had the money to do so. So it's not shocking that UCF had the the lowest paid head coach. I mean, it's a little bit, that's not who I, if you would ask me point blank, like who's the lowest paid head coach in the big 12, I would not have guessed Gus Nels on. Um, but again, stuff with UCF, some of that stuff from a financial standpoint makes a little bit of sense. Well, there you go. That's what I think the Big 12 game of the week is. I'm not even going to ask you about Red River or anything else. I'll also be watching the Butt Bowl because K-State's going to Lubbock, Texas. I'm quite frankly kind of hoping for a Baylor win and Texas Tech just packs it up and rolls over, but we'll see what happens there. Uh, Philip, where can everyone find you? Plug everything you're doing, and then I'm going to let you get on with your Thursday evening. Plug it all. Uh of course, you can find every show in the 1012 network at ten number 12 wordnetwork.com. Every show is available there, as well as an opportunity to support our sponsors and join the Patreon. There's a 1012 network Patreon that is a fundraising tool for the network and the shows in the network. Uh, our esteemed uh, Vibe Queen JSJ, Jamie Sire Johnson, dropped her Big 12 tarot card reading for the week. We got that posted on there, so if that's something you'd be interested in. Pick your show you want to support, drop five bucks a month, and it is among the content we will be trying to produce as we continue to try and produce more content for that. Um, of course, my show, 10 to a Podcast, our Picks Pod is up. It is myself, Dan Alexander, Chris Ross, and this week's guest picker is Parker Fleming. Uh, don't ask me who's going to be on the show on Monday to recap the weekend, because as we all know, the second I say something is definitive, it will fall apart. And uh, we are on YouTube. The episode is supposed to be posted there. I've got to get the pig spot up on there. Hopefully it's done by the time this drops. Uh, and we do have the 10-12 Big 12 special team show where we recap the biggest special teams plays from the weekend, uh, usually featuring some former Big 12 special team specialists. Jaden Obercrom has made a couple appearances. Devin Anktil has been on and will be on again in the future. Uh, we've had a couple of Big 12 kickers, Colton Boomer, uh, Isaiah Hankins have come on the show to talk about their game winners of uh, this season. So, it's a lot of fun. If you're interested in special teams, kind of how this stuff works, thought process behind kickers, returns, things like that. Like it's it's very interesting to be able to talk to people who actually do this. Also, kickers are smart, man. 
they are very, very smart. Like the more I talk to them, like these are very highly intelligent players on the football team. Like you're not, these, these aren't the ones who need the um, classes to make sure that they stay uh, eligible. Like they're just some smart fellas. So uh, come check that out on YouTube, 1012 podcast. There we go. That's all we have, folks. It is game day as you guys are listening to this. If you're driving down to Stillwater, be safe. If you're taking the game in at home, I hope you're wearing a Charlie Hustle shirt and drinking a Manhattan Brewing Company beer. Enjoy your weekend for Philip, for Jimmy, for Chauncey, the best dog in the world. We love you guys and go Cats. Hail to the purple. Hail to the white. Wildcat in spirit, wildcat in fight. Hail alma mater from sea to sea. Onward forever, hail victory. Butter, 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 butter. Fight, UK State Wildcats for. Alma mater fights glory in the combat for the purple and the white faithful to our colors we will ever be a fighting ever fighting for a wildcat victory fight 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 you can stay wildcats for alma mater fight 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 glory in the combat Network.